Hello, I'm horror cartoonist Dennis St. John. I draw monsters and write twisted tales. As you can imagine, I was a little obsessed with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Lucky for me, so were most of my high school friends, all except one. One friend who stubbornly refused to join the Scoobies. So here we are, 20-some-odd years later. I'm teaming up with Doc Travis, John Teach Landis, and maybe a special guest or two. And we're going to make our friend, Michael Poli, watch one episode of Buffy Week until he's no longer the Buffy Virgin. Hey, welcome back to Buffy Virgin, a spoiler-free Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast. Uh, we're going to be talking Wisdom and Hate with Season 5, Episode 7, Fool for Love. I'm your host, Monster Expert, Dennis St. John. Uh, why don't the rest of you guys introduce yourself from most likely to pick up trash on the street to least? <laughs> well, my name is John Landis. I am by far the most likely to pick up trash on the street. I believe very strongly in uh, what I call the dumpster secret, uh, which is that if you want an object in your life, if you want it, what you need to do is put out into the universe your desire for it. And then eventually you'll find it by the side of the road or in a dumpster somewhere. That is how I got my Laserdisc player, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> oh, dude, that is so amazing. I didn't know there was a dumpster secret. Please write a pamphlet <laughs> and leave it in a dumpster. Uh, I am the, I guess the next most likely, but like I would just go to the Goodwill as opposed to the dumpster. I'm not in the bins, but I'm in the Goodwill paying uh, too much retail for someone's hand-me-downs. Uh, I'm Michael. I'm the Virgin. Sorry, I've only watched Buffy up to season five, episode seven, Fool for Love. And I'm being dragged along through this experience by my wonderful friends. And uh, Travis is not with us today, uh, which is sad because he would have loved this episode, I think. Um, We're speaking about him like he's dead. <laughs> he's just, he's, he's <laughs> fine, everybody. He's just not on this week. Yeah, he had a last minute visit from family. So anyway. All right. Uh, so let's jump into reactions. Audience reactions. Uh, this week we're going to do reactions to season five, episode two, Real Me. So over on Twitter, uh, Rich at Dingo Action says, uh, this week, Michael's reference to Chasing Amy, quote, uh, you're nothing but a tracer. Uh, I feel compelled to call out references that don't get acknowledged on the podcast. Uh, so thanks, Rich. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, at Ren and Oz says, um, wait, wait, there are TMBG fans on this pod. Seriously, I would have dated all y'all in high school. Uh, and then she says, uh, here's a. Here's me at a TMG gig like two months ago. Um, so thanks. Uh, thanks for today. Yeah, I think the three of us out here were big, are or were big TMG fans. Uh, sadly, were, but you know, I have a hard time getting back in. I don't want to be too much of a hot take on TMG, but uh, I think those first four or five albums are amazing and it's been hard to follow them. I like drop in every now and then and like it is, it's not the same feeling anymore for me. I don't know, man. Join Us was a really good record. I, I saw them uh, in London uh, just a couple months ago. I think their staying power is pretty, pretty incredible. That said, I, I, have, lo I have lost track of the last uh, three, four records. Three or four? Yeah. Didn't lose, we don't lose track of Star Trek seasons on this show. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. All right. Um, over on YouTube, uh, Anonymous says, Anonymous, how dare you imply I'm Canadian? 
Um, and I really have to apologize to Anonymous. I think I said Anonymous like three or four times. Um, <laughs> I don't know why. That's why I was reading it. Uh, I can very clearly see it says mouse. Um, I think I'm just partially illiterate in the morning. <laughs> um, Sagov9 um, confirms that uh, they watched through a minimized window, except during summary and predictions. Uh, and Silver Spike uh, says... Not a bad podcast, uh, but in my opinion, this sadly became a little too off-topic for my taste. Uh, well, well, we'll see how this week goes. Um, and then uh, quotes, uh, Don could be faith, sound of crickets chirping, lol. <laughs> uh, so, yep, uh, Mike was wrong about that one. But I, that, like, I think John and I were both like, that's a good prediction, though. That's, yeah. That is a very interesting idea. Like, arguably, um, that's better. Arguably, that's better than what actually happens on the show. I actually really like that wrong prediction. And I think Mike was picking up on all of the like dream stuff. We kept being like, mm, interesting. Right, which is clearly red herring. Uh, in <laughs> <retrospect>. <laughs> it's just you watching the show for the 10th time being like, oh, a new wrinkle I didn't pay attention to the first time. Uh, Adjurant Thatcher says, um, Don was originally meant to be 10 or 11. Uh, but they got Michelle Trachtenberg, so they changed the character to 14, but didn't rewrite how she was written, which is why she acts so childish in the first two episodes, which makes sense. Oh, fascinating. I totally have a little, like, uh, we were noticing about this because the dialogue seemed to change in season five, episode seven, but uh, for Dawn specifically. Uh, yeah. So let's do the summary. The summary. How do Slayers die? Spike knows. Slayers die because of Spike. Spike killed a Chinese Slayer during the Boxer Rebellion and a Subway Slayer in 1977. And it felt good. It was the best night of my life. And I've had some sweet ones. But Spike can't kill Buffy because the initiative chip is still in his brain. And if he can't kill Buffy, he needs to f*** her? What the f***, Joss Whedon? <laughs> All right, uh, that is great, Mike. Thank you. Uh, let's do great lines. Speaking of great, great lines. Uh, I just really enjoyed when uh, sort of young uh, Dandy Spike is getting bitten by Drusilla, and he just ow, 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 ow. <laughs> I really appreciated that. <laughs> <laughs> really great dialogue there um, I like this exchange between Giles and Buffy this slayer forged her own weapons gotta love a gal with an anvil uh, and I want to give a shout out to my friend Alina who is a gal with an anvil getting into that whole blacksmith and metallurgy thing whoa uh, that's cool that's really cool did you guys see that forged in fire reality show anvil uh, whatever, like they make weapons show. I feel like they almost never had a single girl on that show. So that's awesome. Yeah, she's uh, she's really rocking it from what I can tell. So shout out to her. Um, uh, and I also really this is more about like the crazy delivery of both of them. But uh, between um, Darla and Drew, our boys are going to fight. The king of cup expect cups expects a picnic, but it's not his birthday. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we don't get enough just between the two of them, do we? We don't. Uh, oh, man. But I love whenever Juliet Landau shows back up. Like, Drew is amazing. 
<laughs> her delivery of, of crazy lines like adds extra bonkersness to it. Uh, my favorite just throwaway line that just uh, didn't belong for me and it was total laugh out loud is Angel in the Boxer Rebellion flashback. Let's get out of here. This rebellion starting to bore me. Like, <laughs> it just reminded me of that like throwaway line. I, there's a classic. I think it's the state having a sketch where someone's just like a video store clerk talking about being in Star Wars, and their line is, "I'm so tired of all these Star Wars." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, he sh- at least he didn't say this boxer rebellion starting to bore me. Oh, <laughs> uh, I like that sketch a lot. Um, but we find out why Angel says that in the Angel episode that this is a crossover too. Um, oh. which you got to watch. It's really good. I don't I think it's spoilers behind? to say this is a crossover episode. Uh. Sweet. Uh, all right. Uh, my kill counts. One human. That was Spike. Five vampires, because I'm counting the guys who got exploded by the grenade. Um, two And two slayers. So pretty high kill count. Yeah. All right. Let's do weird noticings and trivia. Weird noticings. Uh, I just wanted to talk about this uh, amazing hair metal vampire uh, <laughs> that is sort of like the start of this whole adventure. Uh, he's like a um, level one boss from like a <laughs> D and like, like yeah. a um, double dragon type of game. Oh my god! Yeah, he's such a video game uh, hair metal <laughs> punker. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Like, he's going to totally get, get the ooze and turn into Rocksteady. <laughs> but is he meant to evoke Spike? Is that the point of this punk vampire? Oh, maybe. Mm. <laughs> the analysis. He just has the anarchy freaking logo <laughs> on his body. And then, I, I don't I can't remember the band. The Clash t-shirt, which is British. Yeah. And Spike is British. So, uh, so you get staked uh, in your gut. You pull it out or not? <laughs> I wish Travis was here. Yeah. I know this is a Travis question. Um, so the next scene, uh, just personally, I'm enjoying the new Buffy family dynamic on this rewatch. I think back in my first like couple watches of the show, I found Don really annoying, but like, I don't know. Yeah. There's something, something's connecting with me now that it hadn't before. I'm really enjoying seeing this, this sibling interaction. Well, I'm still on the, it's kind of annoying and uh, watch of this <laughs> episode with Don. And I found that they, and I guess this was called out by one of our listeners, but like Don's dialogue felt a little bit awkward because it felt like they grew up the character this episode. Her mentioning that like, oh, well, you know, you're not gonna be able to wear uh, whatever a bikini this season or thank God it's not bikini season because Buffy's got this like heinous scar now or will have this. I mean, who knows how Slayer powers work? They're probably gonna ignore this, but um, from the staking and like just the way that she was talking, it felt like they just kind of sucked her into the Scooby gang style of communicating really fast. <laughs> and it didn't fit with the way, you know, she was delivering it. Like she had less experience delivering that style of dialogue. And, uh, anyway, it just felt a little off in that scene, but it, it didn't bother me. It was just, it felt off. But yeah, they're starting to write Dawn as a slightly older <laughs> character, which is great. Yeah. <laughs> less likely to have ice cream on her face. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I just wanted to read uh, Spike's poem. Uh, My heart expands. Tis grown abulgent, inspired by your beauty, effulgent. Um, and I hope once once William the Bloody is sired, he killed that asshole who stole his poem and read it out loud. Yeah. Uh, 
I, it's not a, I don't think the poem's that bad. It reminds me of uh, when Data wrote poetry on Star Trek, and everybody, I acted like it was really bad, but Data's poems are pretty good. A uh, 100% chance Spike kills that guy. I mean, they literally, like, the way they set that up, it's like, oh, they call him William the Bloody, uh, because he's, what, bloody bad at poetry, right? What, yeah. That deal? And it's like... And that uh, guy gives them the idea of what Spike's known for, driving like, a railroad spike uh, through their heads. <laughs> I'd rather have a railroad spike through my head. <laughs> They're just setting it up so easily. Uh, I was shocked that didn't happen, though. That felt like that would be a great cut. I was anticipating the Whedon cut to like, <laughs> So I was a little sad they didn't do that. I just wanted to talk about for a second about who Spike's sire is, because back in School Hard, uh, Spike says that Angel is his sire. Um, but I guess that makes Angel his grandsire. Is that right? Do I have that right? Yeah. Drew always calls Darla grandmother. Oh, which interesting. Upsets, which upsets Darla, you know? <laughs> so, the, so their sort of family tree in that gang is like a straight line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. Darla on down. Yeah, it begins with the master, then Darla, then Angel, Drew, Spike. Yeah. Oh, the master, uh, whatever, Darla? Yeah. Sired. 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 Because <laughs> obviously, like, we know Angel has sired other vampires. They've shown up right. on Angel. Jeremy Renner. Uh, John, you have a question? Ah, yeah. I just, I'm curious about, like, is it, what's the, what's the word on if you drink the blood of a slayer, does that have special properties? Because it's been hinted at a few times up till now that it does. But then when Spike, uh, when Spike kills the Chinese slayer, it doesn't seem like he's, like, you know, high or has special powers or anything. It just seems normal. I think it does. Um, I think this is also another one, like it would be good for Travis to be here. Cause I think he has strong opinions about it. Oh, okay. But it is crazy. They continually waste Slayer blood. Like when Kendra's <laughs> killed, they don't drink her. Like, uh, when, um, the, uh, Slayer in the seventies is killed. Spike doesn't drink her. Yeah. Um, he just walks off the train. You're right. Just snaps the neck. But that's because he's so brutal. He doesn't even, he's not even doing it for blood. Uh, but how about uh, Drew sucking the blood off his finger there? That was something. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's clearly an aphrodisiac. I mean, this is like where Spike gets, gets all his sexual confidence is from murdering slayers. <laughs> it's all caught up in that story, which hopefully we'll get into a little bit more. But that seems like the Slayer blood, it's, yeah, it's not the blood, it's the murder. Yeah. <laughs> There's um, a t-shirt. <laughs> it's not about the blood, blood. it's the murder. Uh, well, they found a way to get Angel on the show, and I thought they were going to have Angel, you know, it seems because the rivalry, rivalry between him and Riley is so intense, like, they can't really bring Angel onto the show. So, like, this is a totally appropriate way to get David Boreanaz back on Buffy. So I applaud this. Excellent move. And then I love Riley with the casual crypt grenade and no backup. Like, <laughs> this, the whole like side plot of Riley handling the monsters while Buffy is busy. It's like, dude, why not nuke the fucking cemetery? Why bother with this like crypt by crypt search? Um, I also love like. I mean, I love the whole thing of like the Scoobies being bad at it. And it's like they have so many years of experience doing this, but they just like do not care. <laughs> right. Well, they're putting in the reps, but they are not trying to get better at it. Right. Yeah. So like they're Yeah. This is, makes sense for them to be like, yeah, we're here. They're not. And, they're maybe like they have less fear overall, which is probably <laughs> foolish. 
but like yeah they're not trying to improve their game yeah i also think they've never considered like stalking a specific vampire they're like we just walk around vampires attack us (laughs) yeah let's talk about this chaos demon uh i just love that there's a chaos demon this is one of my favorite callbacks yeah uh because i don't i don't know michael if you noticed this but like they're they're in season Spike, three. Yeah, in season three, Spike mentioned that this had happened, that he had caught Drusilla oh, with a chaos demon. And he's like, have you ever seen a chaos demon? They're all they're all slime and antlers, which is <laughs> it's great that you have a year to try to imagine that you have this whole year like slime and antlers. What could that possibly be? And then you see it and it's like really mundane. It's just <laughs> it's some guy. So literal. I just love it. It's the antlers are slimy. <laughs> <laughs> Slime drifts from the antlers on his suit. For such a weird line of something you're never meant to see, all slime and antlers. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, that is a really fun moment. I did not catch that that's what uh, Spike had referred to. I had completely forgotten that he'd said that. I made, um, I got like really worked up when I was watching this scene last night of like, this scene is like what I want my comics to be like. Like people arguing with the casual like slime demon just hanging out. <laughs> so fabulous monsters, completely misused. As scenery. Yeah, just used in a casual setting, you know? No, it's great. I love the awkwardness because they just keep the human, the the odd humanness of it. And like the demon stuff is not really important. It's super fun. Uh, John, why don't you do a uh, HD dive into things? So this place where they're hanging out is insane. Because if you look, there's the shot of Spike is where we open. And it's outside a church. It's this like really beautiful stone sort of like cathedral. is a statue of Mary. Uh, you can see candles burning by the door, and, but there's also like a pile of like empty crates and an upturned table. And then in the reverse shot, so literally the same place, just a few feet away, you can see it's a bar. You could like the bar is literally right in front of the church. Like the door to the church is the patio of the bar. And there's also a, it's also a filling station because there's a gas pump right in the middle of it. And is that angels convertible might, might, may well be, um, and you can also buy a newspaper at this bar. It's just seems like a, a pretty, pretty insane little uh, piazza there. <laughs> yeah, a lot happening in that one little square. You can actually see the menu on the wall there. Too. Yes, you can. They have a two for one special on beer and they have a cream of tomato soup. Lovely. <laughs> Let's talk about this. Oh, next yeah. Thing. So the 70s spike situation is amazing and just as you know, as much as we all enjoyed the punk at the start of the episode, this is like a punk AF spike and super well done. They really spent the time like, you know, there's some scenes you're like, I don't know what's going on here, like in South America. But 70s spike uh, fighting the Slayer is like, this is going to be like the Warriors and <laughs> just the Warriors. And uh, <laughs> we're going to get the sets from the Warriors and then we're going to shoot it. So like it just feels so, so borrowed and so um just the homage meter is so high that it was super clear like what went on and like it's a really fun scene but it just it's jarring in like how well lit it is and like how uh how on point like the art direction and uh scene direction in general is for this whole scene and really i mean to say this whole scene sequence because the yeah the buffy and spike pool scene and then these transitions out are just so well done it just feels like who swooped in and did this this is an amazing set sequence. I don't even want this stuff with Riley in the crypt. This is like a di- <laughs> or disruption from this amazing scene sequence that this whole episode could be about. This yeah. episode 
should start with Buffy and Spike in a bar. And Buffy's like, tell me how you killed the Slayers. And that would be an amazing episode. I don't want anything else. <laughs> and like, anyway, I, this is the best part. So you should start watching now. <laughs> <laughs> it is great. And the um, way they interlace the back and forth between present day and uh, uh, the flashback. Like, yeah, Spike looking right into the camera and talking directly to Buffy in the present from the past. It's yeah. like a, it's something you can only do like once without being jarring. But like they pull it off so well and then they just pull it, put it, push it into one of those beautiful clap transitions I've ever seen. And like you rarely see. So like as a sound transition, like it's so it's just so well pulled off to just like snap into attention. So it goes from the 70s in the past with Spike kind of walking towards the camera and then with a little bit more camera movement into a clap like to get Buffy's attention. Ah, It's so good. So good. I'm like as someone who occasionally edits things, that's like literally an aphrodisiac that sequence <laughs> and i can't wait to rewatch it because i know it's still gonna have a little bit of power on me you know i'm like oh nice. yeah that's gonna be still good again because <laughs> i know what's happening i i really like um just the we, it turns out spikes toned down his look since the 70s yeah <laughs> yeah the spike we're used to yeah totally i had the same thought this is the like subdued look that's great yeah, yeah. uh and also the origin of his duster turns out like Turns out you got it from a dead slayer. Um, John, you've got a little detail you want to point out. Uh, just that 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 scene, because when you were like, you know, actually doing a nice little analysis, Michael, I was freeze framing and looking at the signs on the uh, on the on the subway. And this is a train from 168th Street to Borough Hall, which, as far as I can tell, does not exist either now or in 1977. <laughs> So uh, it's a non-existent train. It's a fictional train. I mean, vampires aren't real either, so it's fine. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I may be misunderstanding. I don't really know the New York subway system that well, so somebody tell me if I'm wrong. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that's not a real train. Please, somebody from New York, tell uh, John if he's right or wrong. <laughs> sometimes I think our brains are wasted. But only sometimes. <laughs> wow. You know, you took a great scene and you took it away from me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, no, it's just it's just the reality of those details. <laughs> like you guys are all take, doing the doing yourselves the service of taking away some of the power or pleasure these things have. I mean, you know, in fairness, you're watching it for the first time. I'm watching True. it for the eighth time or whatever. You know, it's a totally. notice different things. Thing, something I would never would have done five years ago, but I did the, the, both rewatches I did for this. Uh, fast forward through the Joyce scene and then the Buffy crying scene. Uh, I That never would have happened like five years ago. But now I'm like, nope, can't handle this. Too much emotions related to moms. I, uh, yeah, I mean, Fair I don't enough. know if anybody else wants to talk about those scenes because I didn't watch them. Well, the ending is super powerful and interesting. I mean, it goes from this unique point of view where Spike is like loading a shotgun and says, yeah, it'll hurt for a few days or hours, but it'll be worth it to kill Buffy, kill the Slayer. And then Buffy is crying on the front porch because, you know, Joyce is going for an overnight at the hospital for an observation. And like Spike's level of empathy is super high and his whatever his level of empathy around Buffy in general is pretty high. And 
it's just one it's a wonderfully uh unique opportunity um that they've set up here where spike and uh buffy can sit down next to each other like after they've had this confrontational pool scene to then go to this scene um it feels somewhat earned to me but at the same time that transition from like i'm gonna kill you to like oh you need a shoulder to cry on is still like a little much yeah it's really jarring yeah and i will i did watch the the um scene with harmony and it's like harmony just kind of casually brings up the abuse of the relationship like you know she's like i'm gonna say something but don't but don't stake me again yeah just to like as a reminder like this is a very like spike centric episode but a reminder like he's not a good guy right i mean well (laughs) the thing that stuck out to me that scene is spike loading the shotgun is like every the tone of it is so serious but spike loading the shotgun is so silly it's like Spike holding a shotgun is like Wiley e. Coyote holding a stick of dynamite. Like it's just like you know this is you're only going to hurt yourself with this. Like you think you have a plan here, but this is not going to work. I think it only feels silly if you know the outcome cuz like I felt uncertain of the outcome of the the thing that was being planned because it felt more appropriate for me for this scene to like this episode needs to end with a slayer being killed, right? Mm. Like the way it's been set up here, it's like Buffy is powerless. She's fucked up against like a level one vampire because reasons and she's not cursed. She's maybe overwhelmed by thinking about her mom like it's unclear. But it's also just a reminder that like even one of these low level vampires can get you. This is crazy what you're doing. Maybe you have a death wish. You know, Spike pops that in her head that like maybe she the slayers want to die because and other slayers have died because they have no ties to any humans or people. And so, yes, the Scooby gang is important. But like. Spike is going to kill her like. Either he's going to kill her, he's going to die trying. Like, if Spike died this episode, that would be great, too. Like, that would totally fit, you know, with the reversal, like, where he tries the trick that he's tried before or something similar. But that, they just sit down at the porch together is like, ah, uh, I like, I kind of don't like this ending. I mean, it's it's fine. It's like, the emotions feel right, but storytelling-wise, I feel like I'm being railroaded into a direction that I didn't, uh, I don't like it. I don't like, mm. I don't like being forced into this direction, but I like the episode except for that last part which feels dishonest fundamentally dishonest with the character of spike and what what he's trying to get that's interesting um i was going to point out also that just like that because guns are so rare on the show like it didn't read as funny to me because it was like because that it is such an unknown when a gun comes up right um and it does feel it did feel like like maybe this like it's so chaotic it could happen right especially like a shotgun like it's not a precise weapon like it's just like adding chaos you know but yeah i could see spike accidentally killing dawn accidentally you know killing um riley like it just felt like something terrible was going to happen and then for him to be comforting i mean it's like tv it's just like and you were expecting this (laughs) surprise here's something else uh so i guess that's like a tv trick to hook you in it's like you're expecting this thing other outcome but man Ugh. yeah and the, and the gun is a trigger for me too dennis yeah I'm, I'm with you yeah i suspect we're gonna get um reactions to people who are gonna defend the sending and be upset with your reaction to it that's my prediction you, oh, okay you think <laughs> because people you think that it's a deserved that people want to see the the thing of like spike comforting buffy yeah oh emotionally i want to see that i definitely want to see it but it doesn't feel like where this it is a direction this episode went right it could go that way but I I think it's like the tension between Spike and Buffy, it's like 
yeah, he want, he still wants to kill her. He just can't. And she, and she was resisting killing him too. Uh, I don't know. I just, I expected this would be a good episode to kill Spike. Because he's basically knowledge dropped his whole history and everything yeah. that's useful about him. <laughs> yeah, this would have been a good episode. Yeah. But, but we like Spike, so let's keep him on the show. He's like literally one of the best vampires we've got. So let's, let's spend some time with this guy. Yeah, let's do uh, questions for the group. Questions for the group. Uh, Mike, I think you got all the questions. Yep. Uh, okay, so these are all related to Buffy. <laughs> I promise. Um, so could someone please explain Spike's sexual relationship with Slayers? I think we talked about it a little bit, but can someone please explain it? Uh, I think he's horny for death, right? <laughs> um, and I also think it's totally like like when we meet the real William, like you realize like that the Spike persona is putting on like a front of like a, a strong reaction to who he was as a human. And it's like killing the ultimate fighter because he's a like a rough and tough kind of guy with a dirty, like a, you know, a lower class accent. Like it's like the ultimate version of who Spike wants to be. Right. It's it's, it's all compensating for uh, for a rejection in, in his past. Right. So it's he's. He's like he's he's kind of the what you imagine like like a gamer gator is like, right? Like he's he's lashing out and doing real harm in the world because of his horrible, stupid insecurity. Is he an incel? I mean, I think that's giving incels too much credit. William, you beta (laughs) cuck. (laughs) Oh, then, you know, then that kind of helps to make sense of the ending a bit, because then it's like, well, he's never had that vulnerable moment, you know, with like Buffy's very vulnerable and like that's very like he's never had that opportunity to show this side of himself uh, okay I'm reversing my opinion on this ending it's awesome <laughs> yeah it does, uh, I guess you're right it does kind of it tie the ending ties more into who he was as a human than it does to like his history as Spike yeah his, his heart it's grown ebulgent <laughs> <laughs> by effulgent um Okay, this is the kind of big question for you guys. Uh, I'm sad Travis isn't here for this one, so I will have to re-ask it at some point. Are you watching a show, or are you watching people make a show when you watch this show? And I can explain this and re-explain this until it makes sense, but that is, I feel like I am watching both, but mm-hmm. what are you watching? I think I'm watching both also. Um, I definitely am watching people make a show. Um, that's definitely in there. Like, is your question like, am I, to what extent am I like when I'm watching it, am I thinking about and aware of, uh, the, you know, the writers and the cast as sort of authors of it. And I'm kind of thinking about them and enjoying them on their own plane. In addition to the characters themselves. Is that what you're asking me? Yes. Okay. Well, I, I mean, for me, I think I'm always thinking about like, like you were taught, you were really looking at that editing and that right. editing emotionally affected you. But then you're also like, as an editor, what were the tricks they used? How did they do this? And it's like, I'm doing a similar thing with like looking at monster makeup and stuff. Like I really enjoy the chaos demon, but I'm also like thinking about like how they had to reapply the ooze after every take on his antlers <laughs> to get it to drop on his suit. Like, 
Yeah, you know? I, I, I mean, I think there's there's definitely that level of appreciating craft, but I think what's also embedded in your question, Michael, is also like to some extent you build up like a like a quasi social relationship with the actors and the creators, right? So the way that people talk about, and you see this in in Buffy fandom in particular, right? The way that people talk about Joss Whedon, or well, used to talk about Joss Whedon more so in the past, uh, where you know, oh, Whedon speak, and I'm a I'm a Whedon fan, and they just like they it, it's like it's a friend of theirs, yeah, because they they relate to that the idea of this person, um, and I think you know to some extent we're all doing that all the time with media, right? Yeah, well, I, and, and <laughs> nowadays it's more like it's even more so like because of this podcast and stuff. Like I follow Sarah Michelle Geller on Instagram. And that really leads me to a feeling of like, as if I know her, where it's like, oh, she hosted like um, a sleepover for her kids and she dressed like a Harry Potter character. Like, what a fun mom. You know, I don't know Sarah Michelle Gellar, but I think she's a nice mom. Um, yeah. And you get some emotional like pleasure uh, out of that relationship. You yeah. Know, even if it's not even if it's one directional. Right. Well, I mean, this I mean, that's true of any show. I'm sure this relationship with the people who make the show or this like imaginary relationship but this show feels special in that i think the imaginary relationship people have with this show like with that goes the meta relationship right so let me be super clear right you watch the show and you can get pleasure out of the story of the show but when you're watching the show and you yell out dennis off (laughs) and i'm talking about travis watching angel with him when he's like excitedly calling out the actors names or how they handle props right he is talking to the people making the show and not at the show itself. And that's fascinating disconnect that I see in Buffy. I've well, maybe it's because this is the show that we've dived in the most versus any other show that we've watched as friends or whatever. So now this is it. This is number one. You made it. And yeah. so we're now we're we are meta watching in a big way, which, you know, when you're talking about a show, you're into meta watching. We're there. But it just feels so intense. And I, I wonder now this kind of I've maybe I've messed this up a little bit by bringing it up because now I wonder if this is a normal experience or not. But I am thinking that I think overall Buffy is an okay show, right? But there's this meta watching thing that gets into the show, right? It's a certain stage. I think for me, season two, season three, where you then really like the show because you can see their intention and what they're trying to do. And so often their reach, um, they're, 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 the reach is greater than their grasp, right? Like they're trying to do something amazing and they settle at something here. And maybe this is true about sci-fi and fantasy shows in general, where it's like the reach constantly exceeds the grasp. And so then you're like, well, these creators are amazing. Look at the things they're trying to do over here. But then you bring in a casual user who's like, the fuck is this? This is garbage, right? Because how dare you know, that casual user? How dare they? Right. Well, I'm as the casual, I'm like, you could watch, I could watch an episode of the show drop in because I've seen the, the musical episode before because I just remember the excitement around the musical episode, which we're not talking about now. But like, I remember seeing that one and the excitement was so high and I was like, hey, it's fun. Cool. Bye. Um, Didn't get into it. But obviously there's this meta watching that's happening that makes this show amazing. But I think the show itself is not that great. It's probably a seven out of 10 show, but the meta watching makes it like a 40 out of 10. It just takes (laughs) it to another level uh, where it's no longer a show. It's like a show about people making an amazing making a show. And I think that's where I'm at now watching this. But I think that that's what makes this show so good is the meta watching is so good because it's also helpful. The fact that Sarah Michelle Gellar, Nicholas Brendan, uh, Alison Hannigan, you know, I'm going to say their names, but that they don't they didn't achieve the level of stardom that is disruptive 
for the viewing of the show and that they still feel like underdogs to me. And so mm. I want them to win. And this show, by appreciating the show, I'm letting them win. You know, they become the great actors they're intended to be. And this captures performances of great actors because there is that dice roll randomness of Hollywood where you're either successful or you're not. And they have yeah. been some they have been successful enough to have this amazing show. You know, David Boreanaz. I mean, it's crazy to me. And here's here's where this comes out. Literally talking to Travis, Travis will be like, you know, David Boreanaz has been on more television shows than any other actor or like more <laughs> years of continuous episodes of television. I'm like, what the fuck? Who cares? Is that and true? He, no. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because of bones and stuff. Because like the bones reason and SEAL Team 6, he hasn't missed a day of work in like over right. 20 years. And who is like, he hasn't missed a day of work. And I'm like, who cares? <laughs> I get it. I get why he cares. It's because we're all on David Boreanaz's team because he right. was a part of this amazing show that over that's reach exceeded its grasp and made something amazing. And so now we're on part, we're on team David Boreanaz forever. We're on team Nicholas <laughs> Brennan forever. Like Travis is literally sending me trailers like Nicholas Brennan's got a movie. He booked a shot. He booked a shoot. And I'm like, what the fuck? He booked a shoot. How, are you his agent? <laughs> right. I uh, just pointed out the opposite thing can happen of what you're talking about. I was talking with my friend Brian about the exact opposite experience. Like when you're too into the fiction and it's separated, like um, the fiction, like uh, intercedes over real life. Like the example we're talking about is like this happened years ago. Me and my friend Brian were playing a Ninja Turtles video game. And like I started referring, he was playing as Michelangelo, and I started to refer to Brian as Mikey. I was like, "Watch out, Mikey!" And like Brian's wife was like watching us and laughing, and I was like, "You're being an idiot!" Like, <laughs> but like to me, I was in the Ninja Turtle world. I like wasn't telling Brian there was a bad guy behind him. I was telling Michelangelo, like, "Watch out!" <laughs> um, and the same thing can happen like in D and D and stuff. Like, I oh, think totally. a lot about how like. When you when you're like thinking about an old campaign or something like in my head, I never picture oh, five people sitting in a small room throwing dice. I always picture the events of the like <laughs> adventure, like as if they happened. Um, so it's like it's the exact opposite of what you're talking about. Like like I'm not viewing the like mechanics of what happened. I'm viewing like the fantasy. <laughs> yeah, I, no, I mean, I totally that shared storytelling experience with Dungeons and Dragons is amazing. That part's the best where everyone's imagining the same thing. And it's like, uh, that's what's great about improv and other arts is like, we're all imagining this thing is true. Just that this Buffy thing, right? This thing that I think we're all caught up in right now is about, it's partially this meta narrative of this show being underappreciated and we overappreciate to compensate. And, but it's like, it's a compelling narrative that I'm caught up in because I like these characters and I, I'm sad that, you know, I, I'm, I feel like I, I, anyway, I, I don't need to be so effulgent about them. They're great. They're great. I love them. They're great. Um, I am watching a show about people making a show and watching a show at the same time. And this episode like brought all the feelings out about that. Um, I've, you know, I like, I've seen James Marsters, you know, at the Whedon con last year. I'm like, these are, I am definitely interested in the actors careers and lives and how they treat or don't treat Buffy in, you know, their in the years since like that stuff's important to me too. Now I get it. Yeah. Oh, and just yeah. to like pour, shout out to another podcast. Cause, um, the buffering cast did, uh, a large, like a full episode interview with James Marsters. And they talk a lot about this episode. And, um, so obviously if you're watching, if you're listening to this podcast, you like Buffy and probably listen to other Buffy podcasts. So that was great. They talk about, 
um, how embarrassed James Marsters was to play William because he's like, like the cool, like I got to play a cool guy, and then like Joss reveals that I'm actually like a loser, and it's like, like he he felt like like you wrote me, like <laughs> William, <laughs> William was me this whole time. I've been pretending to be Spike, but I'm really William, and like you called me out. Oh, um, yeah, thanks, Mike. That is good analysis. Um, yeah, I like I like that a lot. Oh, good. Uh, let's do some <laughs> themes and deep stuff. Deep stuff. Without spoiling anything, this is going to have to be an ongoing conversation. But I think one of the things that is interesting about Spike is the degree to which the show wants us to think Spike is a bad guy, the degree to which the show wants us to think Spike is a good guy. Um, and in this one, like we, you know, there's a, there's a lot about how Spike is awful and he's, you know, he's a murderer. That's his main thing. Uh, but then when he has this like big, yeah, the, you're talking about this big turnaround and all of a sudden he's the shoulder of the cryon and he's capable of empathy and he's capable of of caring. Um, I guess my question is because I, I think that there's uh, a discussion among fans as to whether or not you can like be really be Team Spike. Since he's so awful, since he's, you know, a terrible person. Because, yeah, because he like doesn't have a soul. Yeah, he's right. Exactly. And he and he over and over again illustrates that. I'm even thinking about just in the last episode where everybody is like, we're here to protect Tara and you can't take Tara away without her, you know, without her permission. And Spike's like, I don't care. <laughs> you can do whatever you want. Like that moment, uh, you know, stuff like that is constantly there to remind us that he's he is a capital V villain. But then the show goes out of its way to make you want to like make you want to like him. And at some yeah. level, I'm not even mad at the fans because the show is openly telling you to like him by television. Yeah. <laughs> that's i mean that's like what character driven storytelling is about is about like manipulating you right yeah and so it's just interesting that the show puts you in this position of constantly being alternatingly being told and not even necessarily like it's a massive character contradiction just one day you like one scene to scene he's a good guy oh he's a you know he's a bad guy he's he's funny but he's a murderer uh he's 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 caring he's capable of carrying an emotion but he also wants to murder you. Like, yeah, I mean, that's what's so great about that pool scene, right? It's like totally juxtaposing the spike in the present, who's kind of cool. It wouldn't wouldn't try and kill you because he can't. With the spike in the past, that's straight up murdered the you of the past. I mean, yeah, it's, it's so rad. You know what it reminds me of? Come to think of it, is uh, is Clockwork Orange, right? You know, you have you have you know the movie of a Clockwork Orange, which. Uh, is about a horrible person. Like that's the point of it. It's about a terrible, horrible person. Um, but when it came out, uh, a lot of people identified with the character of Alex and thought it was really cool and thought it was, you know, tough. And that's not the fan's fault. Like that's in the film. You're it's designed to make it look cool. But Stanley Kubrick was apparently, you know, very upset that there might be about the, the idea that there might be violence done sort of inspired well, by this film cast Malcolm McDowell. Cause well, that right. dude's cool. Well, right. Exactly. Exactly. You can hardly blame anybody but yourself when people find that cool. Cause you made it look really cool. Um, but he, there was, it was actually like officially out of print in the UK for a long time. Cause Stanley Kubrick didn't want it to come out, um, with like wanted to, to withdraw the film for those reasons. Dude, totally. <laughs> That's that. It would be a lovely, like meta conversation to have about those kinds of influential films and media that like, you know, 
are trying to warn against X and then do Y. They they literally yeah. perpetuate the thing that you, they think that they're warning against, mm-hmm. which is so unfortunate. Literally, uh, insert every war film that's anti-war. <laughs> right, absolutely. <laughs> like, they're all advertisements to join up, whether they like it or not. Yep, you can't control how people watch media. Uh, all right, um, I just wanted to say that, like, Spike telling Buffy her ties to the real world or what kept her alive, like is directly stating like a big season three theme that she had with like, that's part of the faith thing of like faith doesn't have those ties and is more dangerous. And that's like the, the wish universe is Buffy doesn't have those ties and dies. So it's just funny to see it directly stated like two years later. Um, and I also liked, um, this is part of the crossover thing, but, like so we watched the scene in the Boxers Rebellion when it's like all of the gang, all of the vampire gang, and like Spike's point of view of it and how he reads Angel. And then later on in Angel, like an hour later in Angel, we see that same scene from his point of view. Um, and I just think it's a really great lesson in never knowing what another person's experience is. Like we can like this I think this happens a lot within our own friend group of like we can look back on the same events and like have entirely different like interpretations of it. Um, so I, I think that's cool. So those are my deep stuff. Those are good. Uh, all right. Uh, let's do Rex. Recommendations. Um, so I was thinking because of, Spike's flashbacks, we get a hit different genre stuff. Um, and I was thinking of the 70s um, Slayer as being like black exploitation. So I was thinking Coffee and Foxy Brown, Pam Greer. Coffee, black and stacked, and packed with fury. I know what you want to, and you're going to get it. Uh, those are like the two top, in my opinion, black exploitation movies. Um, so they're really dope. And then. For the Boxers Rebellion, I was thinking Shaw Brothers movies. So they have one called Boxers Rebellion, which is like the kung fu version of what happened. And then uh, not related to the, to the actual Boxers Rebellion, but their best movie is Boxers Omen, which is insane. That movie is bonkers and I love it. And then I was also thinking of the movie Orlando with Tilda Swinton. Do not fade, Orlando. Do not grow old. Sasha, I cannot think of a life without you. Because it's like a person moving through history and seeing events through history, um, just like Spike does. Uh, and yeah, tell it's based on who wrote Orlando? Do you know, John? It's not Virginia Woolf, is it? Yeah, Virginia Woolf. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Orlando transitions genders a couple times throughout their history, which is interesting. Um, the movie's good. Um, and I'm also going to recommend the comic Boxers and Saints by Gene uh, Yang. Uh, Mike's laughing at that. I mean, I should recommend Rocky, too, you know, because it's about a boxer. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, Boxers and Saints is about the Boxers Rebellion. Oh, okay, it cool. It from two know. points I of just... view, it's two books. It's the Boxers and the Saints. And uh, like what? And they're both like. The Saints one is about the Christian missionaries in it. And like, so it's also about the point of view of their gods and how they're different. Um, so it, they're really good companion pieces to each other. 
uh, yeah, Mike is zinging me there. I, no, I, I didn't. I didn't know what the what it was about. I was just guessing. <laughs> when you're riffing on the boxer thing, I'm so tired of this rebellion. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so those are my wrecks. Uh, we'll also put down um, Clockwork Orange and Warriors, which you guys mentioned, and it didn't occur to me. All right, let's do predictions. I bet there'll be some exciting predictions this week. Virgin predictions. Uh, at the last time we uh, updated this, uh, you, Michael, are at a 62.2% accuracy overall, 6667 for this season. So let's see if we can move those numbers a little bit. One that I thought was interesting was back in season three, episode four, we had this longstanding prediction, Michael, that uh, you said that the next time Buffy gets good advice from an adult other than Giles or Joyce, that adult will die in that episode. Now, the question to me here is, is this good advice and is Spike an adult? I think it is good advice. Hmm. I don't think Spike is an adult in the sense of like, he's not, even though he's like, you know, almost 200 years old now. Right. uh, He's definitely not like a generation above Buffy. Right. Which is, I think, how we've defined adulthood, even though like Buffy's an adult now. Okay. I mean, you could literally interpret it that way, Dennis. But I mean, like a human adult, not a superhuman, not a (laughs) monster. All right. I mean, like an adult. That is not a monster gives advice. No, I mean, like a human being is like, you know, they're at the comic book store and then they have like a tip. Yeah, I, uh, I'm willing to accept that that this doesn't really fit the bill of what you were talking about in that episode at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one, I think, is interesting. Uh, in season four, episode 20, Michael, you predicted that Angel will never be on another episode with Riley. So this is an episode that has Angel and Riley in it, but they're not together in the sense that one's in a flashback. Uh, Dennis, what do you think about this one? Uh, I think this one's still open. Okay. Thank you, Dennis. That was a very uh, kind read of that prediction. And here is one from last episode, because I was not on last episode and uh, didn't have a chance to bring it up. But in season five, episode four, Michael, so pretty recently, you predicted that Spike will dream about Buffy again. And in the previous episode, uh, Spike has a sexual fantasy about Buffy. Uh, when he's with Harmony. So is that a dream? Oh, uh, that could Does be that a count? dream. Can we count that as a dream? He's, he certainly thinks she's dreamy. Uh, yeah, sure. We'll Why give not? that to Michael. Dennis, you're so, you're wonderful. You look great today. <laughs> <laughs> so that puts us at, uh, you got one confirmation. So your overall accuracy, uh, jumped up by a fraction of a percentage point. You're still, uh, at a 62 something. And for this season, for season five, you went from a 67 to a 69. Dude. (laughs) (laughs) I have some new predictions. Um, So prediction one is that we will see the Slayer that was killed just before Buffy, right? I feel like we need to see that transition, whatever it is. And I mean the Slayer that was killed and then Buffy became a Slayer, right? So we're going to see that on this show. I don't know if it's this season, but we're going to see that happen. Uh, I don't think we're going to see more of the 77 Slayer. So I don't know. She didn't get a name, right? Nobody said her name. I know her name. 
Okay, great. The next time we see the 77 Slayer is in the comics or fan fiction. I do not believe that she will appear again on the show. I don't think that they were they so over budgeted for their uh, subway train. I don't think that they can they want to like make that era come to life. I think that was it. That was a snapshot. Third one is uh, no more reindeer games. And that means uh, no more of that. We're not going to see that chaos monster rain, drippy antler reindeer character again. Well, you will definitely see him on my Instagram because I'm going to draw. <laughs> um, we have to see more of this Angel, Drusilla, Spike, Darla team. We have to. So I, I want an episode where there's an arc around that team again. So I'm just saying we got to get more of that. <laughs> That's going to happen. I, is that a fair prediction? Because I've been talking about how this is a crossover episode this entire <laughs> Oh, I mean, you didn't have I, to tell him, Dennis. <laughs> I wrote this before I, we started recording this. I am not responding to your, I'm not reacting to that. But Also, that is, if you give away stuff to Michael, you can't blame him if he starts using it <laughs> against right, so you. So Dennis says it's, okay, so maybe this I should. This is literally a spoiler for one hour. Because like, <laughs> these episodes aired back to back. But yeah, you haven't watched, you haven't caught up on Angel. Um, no. Wait till we get to the mid-season Angel episode and we talk about this. And you will get that point. Congratulations. Also, you're going to find out the name of what the, what the name of their gang is. Oh, damn. I'm pumped. I'm sure it's super dumb. Is it, it's, it's the not Vamp, it's, yeah. not Vamp, it's not Vamp Squad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then my final prediction, my super prediction, Don is not going to die this season. And... I know I started out this season thinking Don was going to die and be revealed as the key or faith or whatever it is. Like, clearly not going to die this season. Don is Don is going to be in the show. Season six, season seven, whatever it is. Like, she's they're not done with her. Um, I thought that she would just be a figment of their imagination, which makes the most sense. But uh, instead, the show is like, it would be cool if Buffy had a sister. Yeah, we like this. Let's keep doing this. And especially since uh, since Joyce is going to die, they're going to need more stakes for Buffy. Like. I know that that's a pun, but like they're going to need higher stakes for Buffy to. And so Dawn is an easy thing to kidnap or needs rescuing, etc. So Dawn's perfect. Let's keep her. And that's something for Spike to lust after, um, you know, another, you know, when when he and Buffy finally hook up, he can be like, yum, yum, yum. I want to eat some Dawn <laughs> or something creepy. Uh, do you want to choose one of these to become a super prediction, Michael? Yeah, Don's not going to die this season. That's a super okay. prediction. Can't wait to collect on the super prediction. Uh, you have yet to collect on any super prediction, as far <laughs> as I know. I'll be collecting soon enough. You'll see. <laughs> In 2019, I'll start collecting these super predictions. I mean, one of the super predictions, the first one, I believe, is uh, Buffy doesn't have a sister, which we are leaving open for debate that we can have at a later date. We're going to have a. Yeah, we really got to fight about this one, I guess. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I've been your host, Dennis St. John. Uh, you can find me online by searching my name with one N for Dennis. Um, I'm also at D-E-N-I-S-C-O-M-I-X on Twitter. And that's my dot com. Uh, you can buy my book, The Land of Many Monsters and Many More Monster Tales, and um, my other book, Amelia Monsters and Girls Book, wherever the internet is found. Uh, and I'm working on a new creature comic creation right now, and you can follow me on Twitter and Patreon to, to watch that. Um, the comic Michael, updates what? on Patreon have been really great. Ah, thank you. Uh, Mike, what are you up to these days? 
That's a great question. Yeah, so I've been just making occasional updates to my YouTube thing. I'm trying to do every week, but uh been getting a bunch of freelance projects, so that's been more challenging. But I am trying to do updates on my YouTube channel every week. I am uh YouTube user MP197400. All right. Uh thank you one and all for listening and talking to us. Uh, you can visit the website, buffyvirgin.com, for links to our blog, our YouTube, our Twitter, and our Instagram. Uh, the Instagram, you can find my monster drawings. Uh, and re- please reach out. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, and don't forget to rate and review us on the podcast listener of your choice. And we'll see you in hell. Hell.